0: Stick around to the end of the show, and I'll reveal how you can be on our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. So let's get started. Amy fine Reeves, you are the CEO and co-founder of Job Coaching Amy, founded at jobcoachamy.com. Job I know I get that right. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So, I'm happy to be here, Doug. Yeah, so
0: so uh, we just had a little bit of commonality. I'm a Dartmouth undergrad, and you went to Tuck, Dartmouth Tuck.
1: I did. Uh, I also spent a year undergrad on an exchange program from Wellesley, so I okay. spent three years each place. I feel pretty comfortable at, at Dartmouth, too. Yeah, spending,
0: spending that time in Hanover. A, I'm was, a California native, and so going back to New England uh, right out of high school was a real culture shock for me. I bet. I
1: <laughs> bet. I <laughs> bet.
0: And those northern new englanders have a language that uh caused me to yeah but anyways tell yeah. us about tell us about your journey and and your work you've done you've been held all kinds of different positions executive positions and it had a really fascinating trajectory tell us a little bit about it
1: i have thank you um well my actually what i'm doing now which what i is what i love most was is actually comes out of my biggest career failure, which was coming right out of college. And that's the market. My first book is dedicated to helping college, um, new college grads and recent college grads find jobs. And that's really my first love and why I started doing this. And the reason is that when I got out of college in late last century and I had a good GPA from a good school and um, the, it was the mid 80s and people thought, everyone thought, including me, well, if you're the best and the brightest, you should go to Wall Street. So, you know, I bought my skirt suit and I attended the Wall Street training sessions and I could barely get an interview. And I got a job out of the New York Times classifieds, which ask your parents if you're not sure what those are um, for uh, (laughs) uh, as an admin because I could type 90 words a minute. And it was the most money I could make. And I uh, it was actually for a headhunter. And actually, I, I was it was a headhunter who happened to be Brooke Shields father, who was a very charming guy very big personality and because it was headhunter i read every industry newspaper that they covered and i sat there and i i did what i needed to do but i read every industry newspaper and i taught myself everything there was to know about the banking industry i interviewed my friends about what they were actually doing you know what they were judged on what their work was about and the next and i taught myself how to interview and how what those jobs were about in the next year One of my friends helped me get a connection. I got an interview first time out. I got an offer. I took it. I was really good at it. I really liked it. And I was shocked that a year, the year before, nobody would even talk to me. And I realized that this is a skill that interviewing is a skill and knowing what jobs there are is a skill that kind of nobody ever teaches you and I didn't feel like there was a resource out there for me and as I went throughout my career I was always the person in the office who when somebody came in and was like oh my god my kid's neighbor or you know my nephew wants to enter this business and I don't want to talk to him I'd be like oh I'll, I'll talk to them. I'm happy to talk to them." and um it became a, a, a weird passion but a passion and when I Um, had the opportunity in my life for the first time not to be the main breadwinner and to have a little bit of runway and try to start my own role. I kind of realized that everything I had been through in my life, which was a career of sometimes in one instance, having to make a change because as a newly single mom with a career in consulting who could no longer be a consultant if she wanted to be a mom. And um, I took a job, but I took a job running a consulting firm. Um, and so I had to do a mid-career switch and then have the difficult time I had finding a career I had done a a meantime I just kind of followed my former bosses along and tried a lot of new industries and just did things that I thought were really interesting and fun and um, uh, I realized all of those things had been for a reason was that I could speak to a lot of industries I knew how to analyze a company and a job and I could really make a difference for people so Um, since uh, 2013, that's what I've been doing. And I really love it. I I put together the most common sense, basic methodology I possibly could. And it turns out it works not just for new grads, but for uh, people at all level. I work with C-suite clients, et cetera. it really the the variety of industries that I've worked in, which ranges from um, I've actually been in a uh, blast oxygen furnace, which may be one of the last people on earth to do that someday, um, to telecom, to uh, direct marketing, and also digital communications, all that kind of stuff has been um, pretty vast. So I can see the commonality, what's common and what's unique, and it it allows me to make a difference in people's lives, and that's what is really driving me and what I love.
0: So what is it about if you think, if you start thinking about job interviews from the perspective of, of the person who's doing the hiring, the interviewer, the hiring manager, um, typically, how are they going about their business of trying to find the best candidate they can for whatever position they need to fill?
1: Well, for me, I, I wanted to know three things. I want to know, can this person, why does this person want the job? Um, what is their What is their interest? And and I always tell candidates that the most important question is Why do you want this job? Then I want to know Why does the person Can the person do the job? Do their skills and experience link up to it? And then three Do they want the job? And oftentimes that's the most important because as a hiring manager, my experience was, you know, we'd bring in maybe seven candidates for a first round, four candidates for a second round last round two candidates and I bring my team in and say okay what do you guys think who we're gonna hire and they'd look at each other and be like they're kind of the same but this one wants it more and would always go to the person that wants it the most so I've built an entire methodology every step from understanding you know what you might want to do based on what satisfies you in your daily life even as a student Um, through how to get through the interview and negotiate and review a benefits package around three steps. What is that? That is that you have to prove that you understand what the job is, because no one's nobody wants to hire someone who they feel is going to get in there and be like, oh God, I had no idea that you're going to do this. I'm out of here. Um, And who can do the job or can be taught to do the job and who wants the job? Because they're going to work the hardest at, at at doing it. And I want to know that fast in the interview process. And then it's just a question of going on a deeper level to all these questions, all three questions as you go through it.
0: So as a person who's interviewing, how do you, for example, how do you find out what the, what the job requirements are? I mean, you see a job posting online or probably and
1: they don't make it easy. They don't make it easy. No. <laughs> Often you'll get you'll get a job description that is something like, you know, we're an environmentally sustainable company that cares a lot about the earth and our clients, you know, products. And you go to Wikipedia and it's a box company. So it's very difficult to to figure it out. And that's part of um, my what I can bring to the table is I, I can teach a, a young, a new graduate, a new professional how to analyze what exactly it means to, um, for example, what a corporate job is. So a corporate job that is you know, I often say, you know, it's, it's overhead or, you know, what used to be called back office in the days when you put the, you know, the people who could talk well and look nice in the front office to sell in the back office of people who were the opposite to run the machine, you know, to run the machines or the accounting, but that's all totally reversed now. Um, But, you know, the, the corporate things are things like every firm name. So HR, Legal, real estate, finance, and you can specialize by industry, but you're still going to do the same things. And then there's the operations, which is what what actually, then you really need to understand what the company really does, which you can figure out with three basic questions, which is figuring out what their market is, who their customer is, and how they compete in that market against their competitors. So So,
0: your advice to to your clients is do your homework.
1: Exactly. A lot of homework. And from, even from the beginning, so that's, you know, I talk a lot about um, even the beginning, how to get your resume and um, cover letter noticed. And I also harp on if your resume and cover letter doesn't get noticed, there's a 98% chance that it has nothing to do with you. It, and if I were the CEO of every company that you applied to, I would want to think I had the time. I would reach out to you personally and thank you for applying to my company because that's my job. And if that message get lost gets lost in translation, it's no fault of yours. Right. So you know you've got to keep uh, you got to keep your confidence high about that and realize it's not you. What is it, to,
0: I was sorry, what is it that makes a resume stand out? How do you how do you make, get a resume, especially for a new college graduate who doesn't the, have much of a track?
1: The, the difference is between um, presenting yourself as someone of value and presenting yourself as someone of value to that organization. So remember those three steps I mentioned, proving that you understand what the job is, that you can do the job and that you want the job. I start that with a cover letter and the template in three parts. So the first part is, here's why, thank you for considering my application. Here's what I can bring value to you. Most kids in that situation will write something like, Um, I know I can flourish in your organization because that's not what I wanna see. I wanna see, I can add value because your job says you need this, this, and this. I bring this, this, and this, or I want to do this and this. Then you have your skills and experience which can be templated and doesn't really need to change. So this is why you wanna work for the, you want that job. This is why the second part is why you can do that job. And the third part is why you wanna work for that company. And I always recommend that somebody go in and pull something off the website because companies put on their website what they're proud of. Right. So take two minutes and say, I love your corporate responsi- uh, corporate social responsibility policy, or I see you're expanding into Asian markets and I've been taking Chinese in college, anything like that. It's gonna say, and, I, and I'll ask you that if you, let's say, you're a new college grad and there's a hundred jobs, there's a hundred jobs for you to choose from on the market. And every day you get 20 letters from potential jobs. Maybe you did as a Dartmouth senior. um, That said, (laughs) please please (laughs) apply.
0: You know, in those those days, if you didn't go to med school, you went to law school. So that's what Uh, I did.
1: Okay, okay. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, so let's say you get 20 letters a day saying, please come work for us. And if 18 of them say, here's why we're such a great company. And two of them say, Doug, we know you're a Southern California boy. We're gonna put you in an office with a nice warm climate. We know you love, you care a lot about humanistic issues and um, are thinking maybe of going law school. Here are the things we'll introduce you to. Wouldn't those two are the ones you'd you'd look at first?
0: I t- take the two that, that were really interested in my interests.
1: Exactly. So if you flip it the other way, the corporations are going to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. They're going to look at the the company that what's not just a um what we call what I call spraying and praying, just sending out any resume, and they're going to say this is somebody that really wants this job and really wants to work for this company. So those would be the three things.
0: So how do how do you um you know there i in talking to i talked to a lot of ceos on this show it's amazing how much i'm learning <laughs> <laughs> i thought i knew a lot but i don't i'm pretty ignorant
1: <laughs> uh, it happens to all of us i know sometimes yeah. when we're talking to 17 year olds like my daughter <laughs> yeah
0: so so i'm curious about kids that um don't stay in jobs for very long they do a lot of job hopping what what's your sense about that and is that a good thing for a career should they should they stay in an organization, try to move through the organization as reasonably as far as they can before they think about moving on?
1: It's a really good question. This generation is so different. In my opinion, my humble opinion, it's a management failure. Um, I think those kids have every right to go, if they can get a job and vote with their feet and get more money or get more interesting work, go, it's more power to them. Mm-hmm. I think a, a, a company has, if a company isn't going to invest in its assets of its employees, which I think it's pretty, it's pretty clear from recent statistics that um, nobody's been very good at doing that. um, They shouldn't expect this, this generation to stick around. I think it's flipped when I was starting out in the corporate world there. People always used to talk about dead wood. Oh my gosh, there's so much dead wood that the company will not get rid of. Well, there's not going to be any dead wood for people to get rid of because the people who are, or there may be just dead wood hanging around at a poorly managed company because the people who are good um, are going to vote with their feet and leave. And yeah. that's what's I, happening now. I
0: completely agree. Um, I teach a lot of leadership development stuff and I am always amazed at how how people, if they want to develop their leadership skills, will not find the resources when, within their companies to, to yeah. develop. They have to go outside and hire their own coaches, and read their own books, and take courses, and find peer groups, and do all that work, and, and none of which is supported by their companies, which kind of blows me away.
1: Yeah, and if you've read the research by um, McKinsey and the Pew Foundation and the Gallup Foundation, that is what cited. There are three main main um, issues cited when people leave and for the Great Resignation, and okay. the first, one of them is that there are no opportunities to grow, and big companies like Walmart are actually in forward integrating into education companies or integrating with third party service providers to help them with jobs like at the levels of, um, for example, truck driver or people who are stocking inventory to help them learn English, to help them learn transferable skills because the cost is just too high. I mean, I think it's, it's could be up to between two and four times salary to replace every employee. So I I I have don't get me I have a soapbox I could stand on about the, how much yeah. money there is to be found um, in the bottom line for really investing in your employees. And it doesn't really take that much. It's about communication and to your your career and your point it's about listening to them and talking to them um and there's there's hard cash to be saved from the soft skills that we have ignored for so long in general as as managers right
0: i did i wrote wrote an interesting uh, post in linkedin a couple months ago and i did some research and i I discovered that amazon is losing it's costing amazon eight billion dollars a year just from employee turnover wow and there's some cities where Amazon has warehouses, where the turnover is so great, they're running out of people to recruit and hire because everybody's worked there at the wow. point.
1: Wow, wow, that's I mean, it's great. a big deal. It's a really big deal. Big yeah. deal. yeah, yeah. I, my, I have a, a again. My theory is we've been so a, since I joined the workforce, since you joined the workforce, there has been so, a, everything about the way we do everything has changed. Right from the way we communicate, produce, manufacture, market, deliver goods has changed dramatically. And every book you read, every um, discussion topic, everything is about leadership, and it, which is focused on getting managers and leaders and executives to just keep their head above water and keep you from becoming, you know, on ending up on the scrap heap of history as a buggy whip, of uh, this year's buggy whip, right? So again, ask your parents if, <laughs> if you don't understand that <laughs> reference. Um, but, uh, you herself. know, we've, we've ignored basic management principles. And right. now it's coming home to roost. I think in that we really are, there's a, a lot out there that this generation is just not going to put up with and and it's costing us. And, and as a manager and executive, I get it. I mean, I would say, you know, if somebody, a, a biggest complaint I hear is people, you know, this, well, you can call it quiet hiring, or you can call it something worse, but, you know, when people leave, if you have a manager or a peer or an or a subordinate who leaves and they don't, and you don't get replaced they don't get replaced and guess what you get their job but no increase in pay no increase in title that's what's causing people to leave more and more often mm-hmm. and if i was the executive i'd say okay let's see if we can get away with one less headcount and see if we can absorb the role into someone else so i get what's happening but it's it's the you know the back broke basically COVID, for, for COVID.
0: So, so this show is called Listening with Leaders. And as you know, I'm all about listening. What is the, let, let's look at from the perspective of your client, the, the young person who's interviewing, how important is it for that person, that young person to know how to listen, both in, an, in a job interview and, and also in, in once in the job itself?
1: So I'll tackle interview first, because that's a little easier. Uh, I, and we talked a little bit about this before, The one of the most important things in an interview I spend a lot of time preparing kids how to answer questions and but it's really just as important the questions that you ask are as important as questions that you answer. And we can sit and prepare a list of questions, of course, and it's okay to bring in a list of prepared questions to an interview. But if you really want to impress somebody, you want to be interactive in that interview, you want to respond to the things that that they say you want to engage and if suddenly you're no longer having an interview. But you're having a conversation with the other person, then you're you're home-free. You know, if you're having a discussion, interest, another basis of everything you'll hear me say a lot of and everything I do is interested is interesting. And if you can prove that you're interested by really listening, responding, engaging in an interview, that means you're going to be an interested, engaging, responsive employee, um, peer, colleague, manager client relationship developer, um, customer service representative, all of those things. So listening is a really key skill that will show up whether or not it's called out as such on any rubric or in anybody's, it does click. Within and within the job itself, it is interesting. There are huge generational differences. So one of the things I've, I've written about is, is the difference with millennials and how Um, In my generation, your generation, I'm sure, we were all kind of tasked with, you know, after school, making our own fun, going out and, you know, don't, don't, I don't want to see you till dinner, you know, just go kind of, you know, do what you want to do. With this, the generation of millennials um, that's hitting, you know, their management stride now, they tended to be very scheduled. From, you know, here's your your um, sports time and your music time, and now you can have thirty minutes of screen time, and then you have dinner, and then you go ho- your homework. So when you hit the workplace, you tend to have new employees sitting in their cube going, "Oh my gosh, when am I gonna?" get something to do, as opposed to their manager who is sitting there, when is that kid going to do something? So you have this this undefined but natural tendency to have a very high performer who's not going to take the initiative to say, I'm going to go find something to do, and a manager who's saying, I'm not going to spoon feed somebody exactly what it is to do. So active listening in any situation where you're reacting to where you're saying, what's the follow-up, can I follow up, what can I do, is a really is almost even more important for the younger generation because they need to learn and um, uh, integrate into everything they do, how to feed themselves, how to you know stay interactive and not just um, uh, uh, expect things to be scheduled for them or to be handed to them in a way that as we used to say in business school you know get the assignment without the appendices and have to go find all the data yourself um, so that's a kind of thing that is a is a, a key skill that is really difficult to to learn unless it's called out as such and okay. there's lots of other ways to t- think of it too but listening is a, is a is one of the foundations.
0: I had never thought about the generational difference of kids Young people who are had very structured lives, yeah, uh, and now all of a sudden they're they're dumped into a work environment that's completely unstructured. Exactly, expected to be self motivated to go out and find figure out what to do, and then figure it out themselves and start producing. Exactly, and exactly. I can see why I can I can see that there would be a very big disconnect between management and these kinds of employees. So, so that raises another question. Of, of the young people that you're working with, how would you how would you gauge or rate their basic people skills? their ability to listen to be to use empathy, to be able to solve conflicts, uh, to communicate clearly, those sorts of things?
1: Um, I, I hate to make a sweeping generalization a generalization about anybody uh, in general, but I think that they are uh, what I would say is they're given a lot of clues. By their workplace and their structure that are difficult to interpret. So, for example, a really um, superficial example is um, you know, I'll have clients who will say to me, Yeah, I I wear yoga pants every day to work and nobody's ever said anything. Or I've left every day at four o'clock and nobody's ever said anything. And, you know, how do I? How do you really explain that you're not in a professional environment isn't one where there are other cues you can pick up on other than somebody telling you directly that's an example of being structured i apologize for the horns in my house um there's and there are other things much more important related to career advocacy so again when you're very structured if you one of the things and and it, it depends on the company and one of the the things that i rail against is that I see these kids coming up against is manage what I call management by least resistance, which is and you're turning a piece of work and your manager doesn't really have time because they're so busy trying to lead and or just keep themselves above water that they they say oh this has a couple of mistakes but I'll just fix them and I'll say oh great job because it's much easier to say oh you're doing a great job than to say you had some problems let me show you how to fix them and this happens two or three times three or four times and the kid is saying the younger person is saying I'm doing great at work everything's really good and the manager is saying oh my god this is coming back riddled with mistakes, but I'm just going to fix them and go on. So you have your first performance review and the younger person comes trotting in thinking they're going to get a great review and a raise. And the manager says, you have some issues and it's, that they're really problematic. And there's a huge disconnect. And that is, uh, it, it's, it's the other side of the listing. It's people don't want to have the conflict. They don't yeah. know people yeah, are yeah, not it's a good schooled.
0: conversation, right?
1: Exactly. And that's exactly the kind of thing that makes a young person leave. Right. And it's exactly the kind of thing that for a manager who's never been taught how to manage, which is really a very simple process of spend a few minutes explaining what the issue is and it's yes it takes much a lot of time yes it's uncomfortable but yes it's an investment that the company needs you to make and in fact if you can make it part of what that manager goals are what the manager is evaluated on make it part of the internal metrics for how you grow as a manager and all that has kind of been swept aside. Most people that I work with, they can't even tell me what the job description looks like for the next job up the ladder, which you would think would be a very basic element Mm -hmm. of corporate structure. But so many of those things, because everybody has just been so pressed for the amount of things on their plate that are new and different and changing, and always just trying to keep up, that some of the basics Have slid like how to communicate between employee and manager. And we cannot hang that on this generation
0: because
1: it's more than that. It's more than that.
0: I agree. And and this all goes back to the fact that companies are so unwilling, maybe because they feel like there's a perceived lack of resources or lack of time or or it's not important. I still hear
1: valued. It's just not valued. I
0: I still hear the term soft skills used as a pejorative. And I always laugh because what people business people don't realize that the term soft skills was coined by the US Army Training Command in 1966. Oh, that's
1: a great derived
0: all of the skills that an Army commander needed in order to command a battle space.
1: And wow. the- Wow. I did that's not know that. Soft,
0: that. That's where the term soft skills came from. And now yeah. we hear, well, it's all that soft skills crap. It's just not important. You know, that's all touchy PD, you know, stuff. That's just not important. What's important is the bottom line in numbers. And, you know, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's my head and
0: say, yeah.
1: Oh. <laughs> yeah, All the research says that's what makes a difference between a manager and an executive and an executive and a C-suite executive are the soft skills. Yeah, I
0: keep thinking that, that for example, a manager ought, ought to be, ought to be graded on how many of your how many of your direct reports um, were promoted within the company
1: yeah exactly
0: you know how many of them how many of them have become leaders in the company
1: yeah and I
0: would tell I tell people your job is to train the people below you to take your position that's your job
1: yeah and and that's culture there's so much talk about how do you keep culture in a remote environment it's like zoom beers on friday or do this or that nobody wants to do that a culture is how much you get promoted within an organization how much an organization invests in its employees that's real culture it's not sending snack boxes to remote employees with the company <laughs> which you would be amazed how many people think that's passes for culture oh, so that's definitely one thing and Oh, keep going
0: I, I had a thought but it, it flew out of my head um, so. I, I well obviously we're in agreement on a lot of this and it's i don't know whether it's because we're a little older and we've seen so much more yeah um, or it's just that the people that have come up behind us really never learned all of this stuff and so they just do they do the best they can with what they know and they're yeah. learning because learning takes effort
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really think it's also funny too. I mean, look at some of the things we've been witness to professionally in our lives. I mean, the change of pace in development and I mean, it completely blows me away and I feel privileged to have had a seat at the table for how much has changed in the business world. I mean, it's been endlessly fascinating to see how much everything has changed since I got out of business school in 1992 I mean, I didn't have a cell phone, I didn't have oh, an email, no. <laughs> it's insane.
0: I took, and, I took the bar exam with a manual typewriter. <laughs>
1: <yeah>. <laughs> and I remember doing an, a visioning, creative visioning exercise when I first started consulting about um, how will you order groceries in the future, and the most innovative person said, by fax. So, um, you know, talk about leapfrogs, and it it's... Um, it, it, you know and you think about trying to keep up with that pace of change on a structural level and on a really detailed the devil's always in the details right And you think about how much the world on you know that at its core had to change to be able to move in that direction it completely makes sense that we've lost sight in a lot of things that matter, but I think we've reached a point of inflection with that the great resignation is teaching us. And that, uh, I mean, if companies want to find growth in their um, financial statements and in their cash flows, it's going to come from starting to invest in your employees again. That's the that's the best little hanging fruit there is.
0: I agree. All right, I got one last question for you. Okay. This is a, more, a little more personal question.
1: Okay. If there were,
0: if, there were, if, if um, tell us one thing about yourself that we would never know unless you revealed it to us.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Sometimes I tell people I'm the daughter of a, um, a World War II pilot, but that's a uh, th- but you know how old I am. <laughs> so <laughs> um, let's see. I am, um, and I already told you I was in a blast oxygen furnace in the in the steel industry. Um, Let's see. Uh, I use my. Well, I don't know how interesting that is. Give me a category.
0: Well, for example, if I, you probably wouldn't know unless I told you, but that I'm a jazz and blues violinist.
1: Oh wow, that's very cool. Yeah, that's very very cool. So I come from a long line of professional tennis players. Well, um, I have been a, a regionally ranked player. Um, my father and grandfather played some uh, tennis at the highest levels before when it was a a sport before it was a business and my (laughs) cousin ran the ATP men's tour for 30 plus years so
0: there you go (laughs) thank you so much for sharing your time with me Amy it's been a really great conversation
1: yeah I really enjoyed talking to you too Doug thanks for this it was fun